Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Podcast. I'm Terry Cowley, the Senior Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback Magazine. Thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for that extra wow factor for your next holiday, Ultimate Adventures Australia, the book, offers up more than 60 travel experiences that are guaranteed to get your blood pumping but don't require years of practice. Author Andrew Bain has traversed the country to create his ultimate list of adventures from wildlife encounters, hikes and kayaking to heli mountain biking, cycling, zip lining and hang gliding. Each entry includes a helpful scale to determine fitness, fear factor and expertise required. There are also plenty of family-friendly experiences. I'm joined now by Outback contributor Andrew Bain, and he's going to tell us all about his ultimate adventures. Hello, Andrew. G'day, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for joining me today. Now, Australians have never been shy of adventure, and you've been travelling the globe in pursuit of adventure for 25 years. What do you think it is about adventure? and Australians, Andrew? I think part of it's probably our isolation. I think, you know, living this far from the rest of the world in our early days of settlement was an adventure in itself. So I think we've we've just grown up with that, you know, the whole outback at most of our backs and the rest of the world beckoning. Um, and I, I just feel like that's infected our spirit. What about yourself, Andrew? What has really drawn you to push yourself so far and take on so many of these, some of these adventures that perhaps someone like myself could do, but many of them are a lot more extreme. What's your motivation? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I didn't grow up with a whole lot of adventure around me. Mine was a classic, you know, playing footy, playing cricket kind of weekends. In about my 20s, I got really bored with city life and city weekends and I just started going out on hikes and uh, eventually discovered um, cycle touring. Ended up um, riding a bike around Australia about 25 years ago. And I just fell in love with the self-sufficiency of it. The, it's kind of almost primal. It took me back to that realisation of our capability of looking after ourselves and that sort of that fulfilling thing that, that nature brings us. And to get to the end of a day where you're combining that with an activity and instead of finishing mentally tired, which I find exhausting at the end of a normal day, that the physical tiredness is something I, I really crave and, and sort of seek out now. And you've got lots of different adventure types, adventure on foot, adventures on water. I'm just, if you can hear me leafing through the pages of Andrew's book, uh, that's what I'm doing right now as I look at all the very inspiring adventures and also the fantastic photography of them. Adventures in the air, wheels, adventures on a rope, adventures with wildlife, snow, adventures in holes. (laughs) And you've also got lots of information there about planning and safety and you know, really what you need to do before you set out. But maybe if we just get straight into it, Andrew, and I'll just pick a few out and you can tell me all about them because there really is a good mix of both geography and the ability that you need to have, which is great. So there's really an adventure there for everyone, isn't there? There is. I mean, when you you look at there's 60 adventures through there and there's um, on each one we've done a, a fear rating system and a fitness rating system. Um, based out of five and over half the adventures in the book come in at a rating of one or two which pretty much are things you could just step straight off the couch and do. I love that a fear factor rating. (laughs) So maybe if we go straight to um, one of the earlier ones in the book that caught my eye 
backcountry skiing in the Snowy Mountains. Now, that's a little bit different to what we generally see at your, your parishes and your threadbows, isn't it? It is. This is this is getting off trail. Um, it's not downhill. You know, it's it's um, picking terrain with with a reduced slope, but it's it's more exploratory. It's effectively you're bushwalking on skis. You know, throw a pack on, head out across the mountains, and um, I mean, this is a day adventure that we've got in here. But you can go out there for days at a time. I like the section that you've got in underneath all the different adventures, saying why it's special. I think that's a really good idea because. There are special things about every single adventure, really, aren't there? It is, and it, and that's about looking at why that particular spot or that particular trip is distinctive from just going out backcountry skiing anywhere or hiking anywhere. It's it's distilling that particular adventure down to its core, really. And often it's about that landscape, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, the landscape to me is the key factor in everything. You know, adventures and adrenaline are great, but. It's, it's the landscape that keeps pulling you back. And one that is on the bucket list of many Australians that you've got in the book, climbing to the top of Mount Kosciuszko, I must admit I'm embarrassed to say I have not done that yet. Ah, you need to get out there and do that one. I, I know, I know. That's our key point. And, and it's a super easy walk because the, the climb, the bulk of the climbing is done by chairlift. You, know, you hop on the chairlift at Threadbow, you sort of hoist it up 500 metres and then it's a fairly flat walk across the, the plateau of, um, of the main range, really. No excuses, though. I better put that in my diary for maybe later in the year. It's un-Australian not to. <laughs> Obviously, it'd be a very different walk depending on the time of year, though, wouldn't it? It is, yeah. You, I mean, you do have to keep an eye on snow conditions. Uh, last time I did it was November and still part of the trail was under snow, but in a very accessible way. But it's certainly not a, a walk you'd be doing in the middle of winter. So something quite different to that then would be rock climbing, Mount Arapiles in Western Victoria. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the epicentre and the heartland of rock climbing in Australia. Once upon a time, it had the hardest uh, known route in the world. And through the 60s and 70s, it just a whole bunch of dirtbag climbers gravitated to it and basically lived there for months at a time, picking out routes. Dirtbag climbers. Yeah. <laughs> So that all. What does that mean? Kind of means how it sounds. It's you know, it's those guys who they'd set up in the Pines Campground at the base of Raps, and uh, they would just climb and for days, weeks, months at a time. You know, might grab a shower occasionally, but classic. It, it, it's very like in Yosemite Valley, which is the the absolute pinnacle of world rock climbing. They have uh, Camp Four there, which is where all the rock climbers base themselves and just live in hammocks and under tarps and. And just climb. That that's the whole life is focused on climbing. Certainly gotta love it. Now you said at, at one point in time it had the hardest climb in the world. But it, it you know, there is there is offerings there for for beginners as well. Oh absolutely. It's it's a great place all round. Like I I am no great rock climber, I'll give you that tip. We used to go there years ago and we'd be climbing this um, grade eleven, grade twelve climbs, which are fairly low down on the scale, like climbing scale. You know, a three would essentially just be a, a bit of a walk up a, a rock ball. 32 was punks in the gym. That was the one that was the highest in the world. So 11 and 12s, you know, at a very attainable level. And there'd be five pitch climbs there. Over a few hours, you just slowly ascend to the top and then walk down off the back. It's just, it's a beautiful thing to do. Beautiful part of the world too. And another place in Victoria that you've highlighted, which we did feature in Outback a couple of issues back, canoeing on the Glenelg River. That looks like a magic spot. Yeah, it is. It is. Once you 
once you get inside that gorge on the Glenelg River, you're in there for a couple of days, the outside world just disappears and you're gently floating downstream, at least until you get sort of close to the estuary when the uh, the sea breezes tend to pick up and the workload increases. There's specific canoeing campsites all the way along it, so you just paddle as far as you want the day, pull in. I had a lovely experience the very first night I paddled there. I just jumped in for a couple of hours to get to the first campsite and uh, just drifting along in a platter post just pops up right beside the canoe. So you just stop paddling for a little while, watch this platypus and then just drift on. That's something that not a lot of people have seen, a platypus in the wild. No, and especially from that close range. That must have been very special. Still in Victoria, abseiling on Mount Buffalo. Yeah, Mount Buffalo is an amazing place for a bit of bit of play on rope. So we've, there's two really cool adventures there and they're both on the north wall of um, up the gorge, the big gouge out of the top of Mount Buffalo. And that's about a 250 metre high granite wall. And there's a new trip that started there. It is the world's highest commercial abseil now. So you're effectively dropping 200 to 220 metres, which I think equated to about uh, the same as the 36th highest building in Australia. So you've got a fear fear factor of five on that one. (laughs) Possibly seven out of five. (laughs) Yeah, I probably won't be doing that one then. Yeah, I... (laughs) I had a lot of fun on that one, but it was, it was definitely the most challenging of all the adventures in the book. Wow. I was trialling it for the operator. They hadn't yet started it, and I got stuck on the rope at one point. It was a, about a 15-minute job to, to get myself going again. But you, you're hanging there with a, a view out over Bright and the Ovens Valley and out to the top and Bogong. Uh, it's a pretty good place to get stuck. How did you get stuck? Uh, you've got a effectively a Jumar-type system where you're you're pressing it in to release uh, the grip on the rope so you can slide down slowly. And it, it just, I couldn't get it to to uncatch. So we were trying all sorts of methods. In the end, I had to sort of reach down, wrap the rope around my foot and pull it down to create a bit more pressure on it. And we eventually got going again. Not really liking the sound of that, actually. <laughs> and speaking of not liking the sound, sound of that, this sleeping on a porter ledge at Mount Buffalo, I just I showed this to my son who is scared of heights and he just looked at it and just went, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, it's again, it's a, it's a glimpse into the world of rock climbing without having to do the up, the up bits. So it's on, again on the north wall of uh, Buffalo where there's a climb that typically will take people three or four days. So they do, they have to portal ledge it out on the way up, which is essentially the base of a tent hanging off the cliff, the trip that's in the book. It's already set up for you. You just you abseil down, you get settled in for the night, roll out your sleeping mat and bag, snacks and dinner and breakfast and the next morning come down on a rope and you just hang out. You literally, yeah. Like I get it, it would be a beautiful view and such a different view that most people wouldn't have, a bird's eye view. But this idea of sleeping there and this this um fear that during the night you can roll off it and just fall that that would be my uh, immediate response to that uh, that adventure yeah there's a high trust factor but by the time you've got there got onto the portal edge in mid-afternoon until you're trying to sleep you've tested the the rope system holding you you know you've leaned out enough to get the view you just start to believe that you're totally connected to that cliff as you are okay yep not for everyone that one i don't think but that's okay uh, a bit of snow camping, bit back down on the ground might be uh, might be more my jam. A bit of snow camping at Mount Hotham, maybe. Yeah, that I think 
that's a one that I subcontracted out to another writer to do. It does look um, looks super interesting uh, and, again, very easy to get to. Most of us don't think of snow, snow and camping in the same conversation, but I would imagine it could be quite quite cosy, really, so provided you've got the right gear, of course. That's right. And these are inside uh, purpose-built sort of igloos, effectively. So it's not like traditional snow camping where you're having to dig dig and support the holes yourself. It's all, it's all pre-done, comfortable, kind of glamping in the snow, in effect. I guess. So changing a bit of tack, just as, I, as I'm looking through your book at all these wonderful inspirational ideas – Cycling in the Barossa and Clare Valleys and McLaren Vale. Now, that sounds like a really nice thing to do. It's very civilised, isn't it? And South Australia has just set it up so well in that there you've got your three major wine regions close to Adelaide and they've all got brilliant cycling trails. They're all rail trails. So, you know, converted railways and railway makers always had that lovely thing where they didn't like slopes because their trains weren't always capable. So they're pretty flat, a lot of them. Like I'm thinking, say, Riesling Trail in Clare, there are direct entrances to the wineries off the cycling trail. So you can be pedalling along, slip in the back door, have a tasting, and keep going on to the next one. So another one that caught my eye in South Australia was hiking the Arkaba Walk in the Flinders Ranges. Yeah, that's a really beautiful site. So it's a it's a private uh, sanctuary, essentially, at the southern fall of um, Wilpena Pound. And you begin in the pound and cross over through a pass and drop into their property. It's an old 19th century station that's been bought. They've managed to clear it of all the feral goats that were on it. It runs along the base of the older range. It's classic Flinders country. And it's one of that new breed of guided luxury walks. So there's no deprivation to it whatsoever. You're uh, Both nights you're out there, you're sleeping in swags on these purpose-built wooden platforms, daring up at the older range and the Dari skies, you get out there. There's typically hot water bottles being stuck in there for you. Beautiful cook-up. Uh, it's total reward for effort. Really, really nice. Sounds amazing, and that is such spectacular country too. Get into a new Ram today. It's America's best truck brand five years running, according to US News & World Report. With unrivaled Hemi V8 power, you'll understand why Ram is dominating the competition year after year. And with Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. See your Ram dealer or visit ramtrucks.com.au and get into America's best truck brand today. Ram. Enough said. Now, staying in South Australia, I was particularly interested in the sinkhole snorkelling in Mount Gambia, and this is, I think, centred on Killsby Sinkhole, where I am going in a few weeks to do this. It's been on my bucket list for a long time. It looks like such an amazing place. Did you do the sinkhole snorkelling yourself, Andrew? I did. I did. And you're in for a treat. I know. Like, people travel all over the world to go to the Yucatan in Mexico for their um, desinote diving, and we've got it right here in South Australia. And we've got so many sinkholes in South in that region of South Australia. We do. Like you, you draw a circle 20 k's around Mount Gambier and there's 95% of Australia's sinkholes are there because it's that classic porous limestone country. So it's like someone's gone through with a hole punch and just you know, popped holes all across the country there. And you, you write that you slip into gin clear water. And the amazing thing is that they actually do use that water for, to, to distill their own gin as well, which is a cute little aside. It is. And it's perfect for it. It's, I've, I've never seen water as clear. So Killsby Sinkhole is typically 27 metres in depth and you're looking down from the surface and it looks like the floor of it is 
two or three metres below you. How far did you, do you reckon you managed to dive down, Andrew? Uh, well, I was just doing duck diving because it was snorkelling, but you, you're probably getting sort of five, six, seven metres down. But you can also dive there and that way you can get to the floor. The, the surface area that you can see is about 25% of what's there. The rest of it sort of goes in under their, um, their building there and under the car park. And um, yeah, you can dive that bit. What an incredible thing to have on your farming property. Isn't it? They must think, thank their lucky stars every day. Yeah, and I don't think they realised for so long because the, the tunnel you walk down to get to the pontoon to enter, that was just one they dug um, for irrigation back in the 80s. Wow, amazing. Can't wait for that one. Sandboarding at Lancelin. That sounds fun. So we're kicking over to Western Australia now. Yeah, that's, it is a lot of fun. And if you've ever driven north from Perth, you've probably noticed that it's full sand country. You drive around, just dunes just pop up. They're so beautiful. I love, I love dunes. <laughs> love running along them. Yeah, it's like someone just popped white out in the middle of the desert there. And Lancelin, it's it's effectively a coastal sand dune, but you have the town stuck between the dune and the ocean. So they're they're in by a couple of hundred meters. They're kind of two story high, the equivalent of. And you just take a sandboard, which you can hire in town drive out to the edge of town. Sort of like a surfboard? Like a snowboard, effectively. Okay. There's two sorts. So there's ones that have uh, footholds, so they're purely for standing on, your classic snowboarding one. Then there's the exact same shape, but you, you're sitting on them or you're lying on them. You can do whatever you like on them. They don't have the footholds. And, and they're your best ones for beginners or anyone who doesn't snowboard. Good family adventure. That one's brilliant for families. So the, the speed you get to kids... Absolutely love it. and I bet. Yeah. And you're steering with your hands in, in the sand and then you've got to climb back up, which is far and away the hardest bit. And then you just hurtle down again. But at least there's a soft landing. <laughs> there's, there's very soft landings. Uh, most of the time you don't even fall off. You just, you just slide to a, a halt at the end. Sounds great. Staying in WA, swimming with whale sharks off Ningaloo Reef. I must admit, I have done this and it was pretty amazing. It's a classic, isn't it? Honestly, this was one I went to and expected to be underwhelmed because there is a process involved. But the moment I slid off of the back of that boat and got my mask into the water and saw this animal shark that's bigger than a great white shark and yet as gentle as a kitten it's I was really blown away I really loved it yes I remember coming off the back of the boat and I don't know what your experience was like we had to really swim as fast as we could to kind of keep up with the whale the whale sharks for a while so we could continue to see them was that your experience Uh, I I had a luckier day where we had a very languid uh, whale shark the first one which, which was this six meter one it was just drifting along and we barely had to kick to keep up with it. And our final swim that had the lovely experience where I suddenly noticed that I was alone with the shark. All the other swimmers in the group had disappeared and I didn't think much of it. And then I could hear shouting and yelling. So I popped my head up to see what was going on. And they'd all dropped off because there's a humpback whale 100 metres away that was breaching. So I'm sitting there next to this whale shark with a humpback breaching. That's incredible. Eventually I had to sort of bring the boat in between us just as a safety measure and get us back on. So where was your dropping off point for that adventure, Andrew? From Exmouth. And yeah, they drive you around um, down down Cape Range a little way to the marina there and set out from there. I went out from Coral Bay, so just a little little way away from there. Yes. And another another thing that I just uh, would love to do again that you've got in your book, Exploring Gorges at Karajini National Park. 
that would have to be one of the highlights of any kind of trip around Australia, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. First time I went to Kerrigini was 25 years ago, and I've spent 25 years saying it's my favourite national park in Australia. And then I got to go back again for this book, and it was amazing. Just the selection of gorges and the swim possibility. So there are those gorges... The gorges that you see all the time in pictures, but there's so many more than that, isn't there? There is. Every, every corner is like a, a new unveiling of a stage curtain, really, isn't it? Yeah. They all have their distinctive character, despite the fact that at least four of them interconnect. You, you kind of think you get gorged out, but there's, there's no possibility of that in that country. They're all quite different, and some you can swim in, some you can hike down to, some you can even take a um, a lilo and have a little relax in there's uh and and they're always pretty cool aren't? i mean it's very hot in that part of wa and the water is always pretty refreshing isn't it the water's icy i think i think because the gorges are so narrow the water doesn't see sun and there's a shock value to getting in them that's for sure uh, did you go canoeing in nitmaluk national park i guess that's what we used to call catherine gorge that's correct yeah yeah i did do that that was that was one of the first adventures i did for this book and kind of set me off on a nice path it's just you know you've got those interconnected 13 gorges that make up uh nitmaluk and you start in the second gorge where the boat drops you off they've got a whole raft of canoes set there and most people just set off for a half day or a full day, but you can go out for two days, which is what I did. So paddled through to Gorge 7, came back. There's a beautiful, beautiful campsite at Gorge 6, just on this elevated beach, pinched between cliffs. You're looking straight across it. When we were there, some nesting peregrine falcons that were hanging around all evening. And there wasn't another person around. It was a really beautiful night right there, the cliffs that, you know, make up the Arnhem Land um, escarpment. Are crocodiles an issue with this adventure? They have the potential to be, but they aren't in a sense of there's nesting sites for freshwater crocs that you pass and see. But before they open up the gorge for the season, um, after the wet season, the rangers spend weeks going through checking for the crocs. They've got a particular style of buoy that crocs are drawn to. And if they've got bite marks, then they don't open up. So it's, uh, I believe it's about a six-week process they go through to make sure. So uh, staying in the Northern Territory, hiking the Larapinta Trail in West Macdonald National Park has been, well, it's not, not been going for that long, I don't think, that trail, but it's certainly been one of the most popular probably walking treks in the Northern Territory in recent years, hasn't it? It has, even right across Australia. Like It probably rivals the Overland Track now for popularity. It's the track most hiking companies tend to gravitate to and uses their main base. I, I first hiked it back in 2005, just after it opened, uh, and it's brilliant designed by nature, effectively, because most days you're walking through dry country, but camping and finishing by a waterhole. So you're getting a nice cooling swim and a water replenish every night, and they've set up water tanks along the way now, so it's quite a civilised way to walk across a desert. Beautiful gorge country as well. It certainly is. So in that similar region, heli biking, not something I ever have thought too much about. Heli skiing you hear about, but heli biking you don't hear so much about. That's right. It's, it's almost a, a borrowed concept from New Zealand, really, because it's quite a popular uh, way to mountain bike over there. But in Alice, it's essentially got this absolutely stunning uh, mountain bike network there. It's one of my favourites in Australia because it's all really natural there's instead of being sort of pieced together by designers to have these uh, very cool features it just it it has them naturally you're dropping in and out of creek beds and over exposed rock 
Uh, and then you've got this one trail called Hellline that, that ventures out into the West McDonnell Ranges for a while. That's the longest one in the network. And uh, the local yeah, helicopter company will take you to three points along that and drop you at your choice of one and then you just ride back. What a great idea. Well, it was the only heli-biking available in Australia, but there it's actually started up on the west coast of Tasmania in the last few weeks as well. So this could be a growing genre. Yeah, definitely. Now, I think we're moving into Queensland when we talk about Cobalt Gorge. Yes. So stand-up paddleboarding, Cobalt Gorge. Cobalt Gorge has captured my imagination for a long time looking at pictures of you know people hiking and maybe canoeing in there but I haven't seen stand-up paddleboarding it looks like a really beautiful way to discover it but stand-up paddleboarding I, I have done it it's not actually as easy as it looks it's not it requires a certain degree of balance I mean because whatever water you're on you've got one leg going one way one going the other way but there's nowhere that's going to be easier than in Cobble Gorge there's not a lot of flow in there there's no wind effect there's no wave it's it's a very gentle uh, journey up through that gorge and and to me the amazing thing is you're in the outback like if you'd said to someone I'm going to do a water sport in the outback they're going to think you're crazy it looks absolutely beautiful and that's another family friendly one I think if if you can actually you know have that balance and stay afloat whenever I've uh, whenever I've been paddle boarding with a group someone's always ended up in the drink but that's okay <laughs> I think that's part of the process speaking about ending up in the drink the drink you've also featured rafting in the Tully River this looks like fun that is that is a lot of fun like this is just word of adrenaline for three hours it's you get popped in immediately below the um the power station and you're straight into two to three hours of of rapids and they're very changeable. There's, I love the way that every rapid's got a name, but when you're in them, you, it just all feels the same. You, you're just bouncing around, and there's no option, no option to stay dry on a journey like this one. And is this guided? Like, you, do you have to be an experienced rafter? Yes, you do. Like, you would only do this guided unless you were very experienced. Like an international rafting association rates this in the top ten rivers in the world. Never. I don't even know if I've heard of it. Yeah, it uh, flows out. Uh, it's in behind the town of Tully, so you've effectively got the wettest place in Australia. So, water's not an issue. It's Runs right along the edge of the Wet Tropics World Heritage Area. Beautiful. And speaking of rafting, uh, Franklin River might be a little bit more gentle, in parts at least. Yeah, in parts. I mean, this is my absolute favourite Australian adventure. Um, I've been lucky enough to go down a couple of times. and It's a really committing journey. So you're on the, the river for typically eight to nine days. And once you leave from below the Isle Highway and so you're in the Collingwood River at that point. As soon as you leave that, you don't see another sign of humanity until the end. There's no buildings, no cultivated land anywhere in that catchment. And a lot of it's very gentle, but then you've got this big chunk of water in the middle, the Great Ravine, where there's some really, really powerful rapids and you're usually not going to raft them. It's, it's a whole day of portaging. So you get a whole other activity thrown in where you're scrambling along cliffs and throwing rafts over rocks, and which essentially your guides are doing because, you, again, you're going down this in a guided trip. It's super exciting. It's The banks are so hard to pitch on that you're never sleeping in tents. You're just sleeping out in the open with a tarp if any sign of, of wet. And I had one night there where I, I lay out my uh, mat went to sleep and woke up and I was surrounded by glowworms just under this fern. Wow. Um, a really magical moment. That's very cool. And of course, with this history of this river, of course, perhaps makes it even more special. It does. And it, it's almost, there is a palpable sense of something amazing happened here. You know, the, the day that you, you 
come out of Propsting Gorge, which is one of the longer gorges along there. You fall into um, Rock Island Bend, which is where the famous Peter Dombrovskis photo was taken that graced newspapers and helped stop the river being dammed. It kind of feels like an audience with royalty once you're, you're there looking at it. Now, you mentioned hiking the overland track, Cradle Mountain Lake St. Clair National Park earlier. Now, you're living in Tasmania now. Have you done this a couple of times? I'm up to about six now. And have you done it in the depths of winter? I have. Yeah, I did uh, one year went through middle of winter got pretty lucky conditions in the, I think about five of the seven days it, it didn't snow and then in the middle it got really heavy day of snow so hold up that Pelion hut right in the middle point which was our plan anyway and we climbed Mount Oakley which is a peak there in the snow and beautiful country when there's snow on it but most people would walk it in summer being across in February and had snow yeah took my kids across it when they were really young and my, my young son at the time got a bit of hypothermia on day one because the wind chill factor was probably about minus 15. And yet we'd left in really sunny conditions. It's, it's a, because it, it effectively abuts the west coast of, of Tassie, you know, just inland. So it's one of the first places that gets hit when the weather comes in across the Southern Ocean. But incredibly spectacular. Yeah, stunning. And given how many of Tasmania's highest mountains you're among, it's relatively easy because it seems to, it threads beautifully between the mountains rather than over them. Now, something that we haven't mentioned is whitewater sledding, which is something a little bit different. So laying down on the sleds and going down the Meander River, which is also in Tasmania. Yeah, this is a really fun little one. And again, this is perfect for families. It's uh, it's very gentle. Um but if you're trying to picture it, think of uh, whitewater rafting for one. What this company uses is lilos, essentially, a sturdier version of a lilo. But you lay on your stomach, paddle with your arms, and you just drift through the rapids, which are very gentle rapids on the meander. And you head downstream that way. You've got some pretty long sections of flat water. So there are moments you can just lay on your back and look up at the sky and the trees and drift down. At some point, you're going to fall off that lilo, and it just doesn't matter in that river because your knee deep or hip deep. Another family-friendly one. And we couldn't talk about Tasmania without mentioning the Bay of Fires walk. Yeah, the Bay of Fires, it's, well, other than Wanglass Bay, it's your classic slice of Tassie coast, isn't it? You've got all those beautiful colours of the orange lichens, the blue sea, the white beaches. Uh, and you've got now, as of, I think it started probably six or seven years ago, you've got the Wookalina walk there, which was actually the first tourism venture from the Tasmanian Aboriginal community. So it's, it's a, a cultural walk as well as the scenic beauty. You're learning a bit about the Palawai history, the Tasmanian Aboriginal history. There's a lot of bush tucker along that route, so you're getting to sample that. And the, the camp you spend most nights in is this beautiful recreation of uh, the old Tasmanian Aboriginal huts that people used to live in, but obviously far more modern and comfortable. You've got wallaby skins on the beds and there'll be a cook up of mutton bird and wallaby and yeah so it's a lovely trip quintessential tasmanian experience it is so that probably covers a fair raft of the adventures in your book andrew and your book ultimate adventures australia is out now and it was reviewed in issue 153 of outback magazine by ken eastwood thank you ken now you've done the ultimate adventures book so what adventures have you got planned now Andrew? Yeah, there were so many that I couldn't get in this book that I either want to do or would love to you know, pop in a book at some point. But I'd love to go over and swim with the, the cuttlefish migration in Wyala. It just it looks like an incredible 
sort of marine site when you've got tens of thousands of cuttlefish coming through each winter, hoping later this year potentially to go and cycle the Mundabidi Trail through Western Australia, which is uh, a biking equivalent of the Bilberman Track. So it starts in the hills of Perth and finishes down in Albany, 1,000 k's later, uh, all off, off-road, but with um, purpose-built campsites along the way. It's, it's an adventure I've been eyeing off for a few years and have ridden a small bit of, but got quite compelled to go back and do the whole thing. Uh, and similarly, I'd like to ride the, the Mawson Trail um, from Adelaide up to the Flinders Ranges, which I once had an attempt at and broke my bike, so it didn't, didn't complete it. Wow. Just a few little um, walks in the park there, Andrew, perhaps for an Ultimate Adventures Australia Volume 2. <laughs> that would be nice. Well, congratulations on your book, and uh, you'll be popping up in Outback, I'm sure, uh, perhaps bringing some of these adventures to life for our readers. Well done. And look, I think I need to go and have a little lay down now after <laughs> you've made me tired <laughs> talking about all of those. I am looking forward to getting down to South Australia for that uh, that swimming in the sinkhole, though. That will be an amazing one. So thank you for that, Andrew. You are going to love that. I certainly will. Thanks for your time, Andrew. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this podcast episode and hope to be back in your ears very soon. Looking for Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks? Then you want a Ram truck. Get into your local Ram dealer for the best selection of powerful, capable and luxurious pickups all under one roof. With Australia's best range of full-size pickup trucks, Ram eats everything else for breakfast. Visit ramtrucks.com.au or see your Ram dealer today and get into a Hemi V8-powered Ram. Enough said. Thank <laughs> you.